Everyone, remain calm. Yeah, ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. And later there's running and screaming. Somebody talk to me, what is happening? Welcome to Jurassic World. You're listening to the Jurassic Park Podcast. You want to consult here or in my bungalow? <laughs> Hold on to your butt. Well, we're back. Hello and welcome to the 56th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we're here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we've got a bit of news, a quick rundown of the events of Jurassic June so far, a great listener segment, and we'll wrap it up with some clips from Bryce Dallas Howard and John Williams from the AFI Life Achievement Award Ceremony. Before we get into it too far, I gotta apologize, my voice is not 100% this week. I went to a concert, maybe screamed a little bit too much, so I apologize ahead of time. Now, I mentioned it last week, but the guys from Jurassic Unicast joined me for a full Jurassic World commentary that was uploaded to YouTube for the one-year anniversary of Jurassic World. Well, you may have noticed in your feed, but we decided to push it out as a special episode for a limited time. So next time you watch Jurassic World, turn down the volume a bit, play the commentary episode along with the film. We give our thoughts and a few insights into the film that I believe you'll really enjoy. So go download it now. But why don't we get things started off first with a bit of Jurassic news from around the world. Eighteen minutes and your company catches up on ten years of research. Access main program. Access main security. These pictures were taken in hospital in Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. Boy, my head being right all the time. But today, I guarantee it. The Hollywood Reporter sat down with Steven Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall to talk about Steven's new film, The BFG, but couldn't help but chat about the success of Jurassic World. In the article, they talk about Jurassic World's expectations, how much Steven Spielberg was involved, and how both Colin and J.A. Bayona were in the mix for Jurassic World. Frank Marshall said, We spent a lot of time with Colin. We're doing that on the next Jurassic 2 with Juan Antonio. Kathy and I have spent a lot of time with Juan Antonio over the years. We talked about him doing Jurassic World, but he has a long process for production. Steven also talked about whether or not he feels possessive over the new franchise. No, I don't. I honestly don't feel possessive at all. I think Colin feels possessive now, and he should. I pass the torch to Colin. It's an absolutely amazing article with an insight into three of the best minds in filmmaking. I highly suggest you take a look at our show notes for a link to the article. Bryce Dallas Howard recently sat down with Eric Eisenberg from Cinema Blend, and they got to chatting about Jurassic World's sequel and the secret of nature of trading vital information about the film. Bryce said, Whether I have the chance to be around that group, that crew, I like to get the information. J.A.'s over in Europe right now, so I haven't seen him in person. I'm sure he wouldn't, because you know what? The emailing and texting, you can't go on record. You can't write anything down, commit to anything in writing. So tonight, I'll just be like... Can you verbally explain to me what's happening? 
but we'll shoot next year. So I think after the mess that went down with the Sony leaks at the end of 2014, people in the film industry are being very careful. Any information passed over the internet has a chance to be revealed, so I really think it's smart of them to be careful about the plot of this film. I hope they lock everything down pretty tight around this next film, even after the events of uh, A Jurassic World, some of the things that leaked out. Head over to our show notes for a link to Cinema Blend's article. Sam Neill spoke with the Wall Street Journal about his new film, Hunt for the Wilder People, and couldn't get by without commenting on whether or not he'd ever come back to the Jurassic franchise. He said, You never say never, but I think it's moved on. It's different times. You know, at least he's leaving the door open for himself, but I think he feels as if they are pushing a different agenda with the new set of films. I personally hope he's wrong and that we will once again see the likes of Alan Grant in the world of Jurassic Park sometime in the future. Uh, But the full article is amazing, so I highly suggest you go check it out. It's a great read. So take a look at our show notes for a link to the Wall Street Journal's chat with Mr. Sam Neill. Oh, there it is. There it is. Hold on to your To celebrate Jurassic June, we are giving away Jurassic World on DVD and The Good Dinosaur on Blu-ray. All you have to do to win is go to iTunes, give us a five-star review, and leave a comment with the hashtag Jurassic Giveaway and the DVD of your choice. That's it. It helps us and it helps you. We will be picking the two winners at the end of Jurassic June. Make sure to head to JurassicParkPodcast.com for more information on the giveaway. So as we're nearing the end of Jurassic June, I kind of wanted to point out a few of the great things that have been happening across Twitter. I know a lot of our listeners are not involved in the Twitter fandom, so it's always good to get the information out to everybody. First off, at Jurassic June himself has released a great mobile game called Jurassic Jump, which is aggravatingly difficult, but 10 times more addictive. So make sure to check out your mobile device's app store and download Jurassic Jump. You won't regret it. JurassicWorld.org has recently rebranded everything to Jurassic Outpost via their website and all their social media outlets. They've also created a new forum at JurassicForums.com. I've joined up and have been having some great chats with other cool people in the community, so make sure to head over there, join in on the fun. Head to JurassicOutpost.com to see all the new content that they're producing. It's some really, really great stuff. At Sickle underscore Claw on Twitter has been releasing some great original script notes from Jurassic Park. He came across these notes and has been releasing them. There's there's some really informative stuff in there, and he's been doing it all Jurassic June. You absolutely need to track down his Twitter and follow along with some of the great notes that he's been releasing. Also, the Dinosaur Stop is running their giveaway for a bunch of great Jurassic World toys and more, and you heard Alicia talk about it on last week's show. Plus, we have been running the giveaway information every week on the show here, so don't forget to enter for your chance to win. Back over on Twitter, at RyanJPShu, that's S-H-U, uh, he has been uploading some of his great artwork over the past few weeks. Now, he has worked super hard at recreating that look and feel of a Jurassic Park-type field manual that holds a ton of great artwork for the different dinosaurs throughout the franchise, as well as some stats and information on each one. You won't want to miss his work, so make sure to go check out his Twitter. In a bit of sad news, JP Legacy closed its doors after many years of providing great content, news, and forums for the Jurassic Park fans. It's been a huge staple in the community and a great place for friends to gather together and talk about the franchise. Uh, Unfortunately, the site had to shut down, but many in the community have come together, supported each other, and started new outlets for fans to get together. JurassicParkPortal.com is one of those places, so make sure to head over to that site to find some great conversations. 
Unfortunately, I probably missed so many other great things being spread across the internet for Jurassic June. There's just so much great artwork, different contests and giveaways, and really just so much great talent found under the hashtag Jurassic June. Now, if I missed any of you, or if you want to promote your Jurassic June interests, make sure to contact us and let us know. Again, make sure to go check out everybody I spotlighted here today for you. You could say they, uh, you know, spared no expense. Aren't you supposed to be a genius or something? I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Dendry. Incorporating all the latest technologies. We shouldn't be here. And there's five dinosaurs. How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? I've got a bunch of emails and voicemails to get into today, so let's just jump right into our listener feedback segment. Uh, This first one comes from the wife of a fellow Jurassic podcaster. Let's check it out. Hi, I am Stephen Hurl's wife from Jurassic Unicast, and my question is as follows. How did the dinosaurs, despite given growth hormones to accelerate their aging, still manage to live for a substantial amount of time? Example, Rexy approximate lifespan of average T-Rex is around 20 to 30 years. Adult size in the first JP film, science dictates that it takes a Rexy around 20 years to get to full adult growth. So say it takes them a year in captivity to give growth hormones to speed the process. One year equals 20 years. They suggest that the hormones are placed into the food so there is a good chance that the medication was still being given to the dinos after adult growth has happened. Therefore, the aging of the T-Rex was still continuing after it had reached adulthood. So even in the first JP film, Rexy is already towards the end of her lifespan. However, 23 years later, Rexy is still around. Taking into consideration modern medicine, the lifespan of the average human is extended by, say, 20 years. Use that consideration towards a T-Rex. Average lifespan, non-medicated, 20 to 30 years. Average lifespan, medicated, 40 to 50 years. Furthermore, Rexy was in fact unmedicated for the most part of her life, along with the battle scars she had acquired. It's safe to assume that Rexy has lived far beyond her aforementioned lifespan. I haven't even begun to imagine that during the unattended time on the island, she was most likely consuming herbivores who themselves had been given growth hormones. Therefore, the continuation of growth in Rexy would likely be still continuing. My question is... How did they manage to not get them to die of old age in the first film? I assume that it is the use of reptile DNA rather than birds, as reptiles would probably have a longer lifespan than a bird. Hey, thank you so much for submitting this awesome question slash analysis via our new contact form on our website. I I think it's great to see people actually using it. But again, back to your question. My answer is I have no answer. I think you really summed it up better than I could, really, to be honest. Um, I'm kind of at a loss of words as to how this Rex could still be living um, and even be further living in Jurassic World. It doesn't make any sense. The fact that she was, uh, you know, basically 20 years old in the first movie, uh, that doesn't make any sense because she wasn't. We only we know she was only a few years old, but she should have died shortly after that. So there's no possible way that she should be alive in Jurassic World. Um, but... Look, I mean, we're talking about dinosaurs being alive in general, and they kind of explain things. You know, the the lysine thing was explained away through through the you know herbivores and everything. But I don't know. Maybe maybe they can kind of continue explaining the the, the growth hormones through that. I don't really know. Um, 
yeah, I, I'm kind of, I just, like I said, I'm at a loss of words for this because it doesn't make any sense. She should have been dead, unfortunately, but I'm glad they didn't kill her off. Is that enough? Is that a good answer? No, probably not. But you know what? I, I think it kind of, it gave a good response to the fact that she looked so different in Jurassic World. You know, maybe she was given these hormones over and over, and then she did keep feeding on these, these herbivores who also had them inside. So maybe that's why she looks like she's more like 50 years old or 60 years old even instead of the, you know, around about 25 years old that she was in Jurassic World. Uh, I think that's a good explanation as to the way she looks like why she does so different than she did in Jurassic Park. But I legit just don't have a good answer for this one. It really does defy logic. So if anybody out there has a good answer, please contact us. Let us know. Because this one is really going to bother me. And it's it's already it's already digging in. I don't know. <laughs> but thank you so much for that email. And also for giving everybody something good to think about in the next few weeks. This next email is from Kat. And she says, You talked about the reason people like us are addicted to these movies. One reason for me has always been the amusement park aspect. When I first saw JP in the theaters, that scene where they get in the jeeps and take note of one of the most advanced CD-ROM technologies. Whoa. The interactive CD-ROMs? I fell off my seat, jumped to watching Jurassic World last year, and the Mosasaurus Amphitheater dropped to the underwater viewing. What? Are you kidding? Can they do that? The whole entire seating section just drops? I missed the next five scenes because I was taking that one in. From the gyrospheres all the way down to the details in the hotel room, the way the room opens up to the view of the park, the box with the wristbands all waiting for them. Someone really studied Disney World when they scripted it. Not to mention the entire website that is like going to any other amusement park website in real life. I would love it if you picked apart the amusement park aspects of all four films in more detail. Jurassic Park and Jurassic World are filled with them. The Lost World has the whole San Diego Park. Even Jurassic Park 3 has the hang gliders they're called uh dinosaur i mean seriously dinosaur how much does that cost how does it work like what amanda's boyfriend goes online and orders up rides for two is it part of a bigger operation do they have other versions of soaring besides the hang gliding i need to know these details and who better to nitpick them to death than you guys thank you hey cat that is such an awesome email and just like you i am also obsessed with the theme parks and I think it has a lot to do with my love of the franchise. Now, I think the theme park aspect is one of the main reasons why I love Jurassic World so much. I, I really think my jaw dropped just as much as yours, and especially during that hotel to innovation center shot. It was just incredible. Uh, as for the dinosaur event, I think that type of experience was probably off the books and something Ben Hildebrandt and Eric stumbled upon while on vacation. I think you can really see it on that boat operator's face as he's kind of traversing the waters there when we first see him. He knows he shouldn't be there. To even further that point, we know the airspace is off limits, so I can't imagine being that close to the shore via boat was legal. Um, if you've either gone on any kind of vacation like this to a beach resort of some type, uh, I could totally see this kind of this boat guy walking down the beach, trying to scope out prospects, you know, people to go on his little excursion. He's trying to sell his Jurassic excursion for a few American dollars, real cheap. And it's like that type of thing that you see on these beach resorts a lot. They're always trying to get you to do the parasailing or hang gliding or or those weird, crazy little boat things with the propellers. I don't know if you've seen those. Those things are out of control. They feel so unsafe. But it does make me wonder what other kind of illegal excursions they were transporting during that time. 
As for theme park episodes, we have a lot in store for you. Multiple episodes, in fact. Those are some I absolutely cannot wait to get out to you guys. They just take a lot of research. So stay tuned. Thanks again, Kat. Let's flip over to the voicemail we have, so let's uh, take a listen. Hey, Brad, how's it going, man? This is Justice Steele. Um, I actually just had a question come to mind real quick that I wanted to ask you, and this is for the podcast. Um, my question is, do you think that there would ever be a rated R Jurassic movie? Now, I know most people may not like that, but it just the thought just kind of come to my mind. What if? Because they could possibly go that route and make the dinosaurs more... Uh, make the dinosaur scenes with people more gritty and more intense and more um, scary than they really they already are. But what do you think? Do you think there could ever be a rated R Jurassic movie? I know there's been other movies that's been like that. There was even a movie that came out the same year as Jurassic Park. I actually think it came out a few months after it. Uh, it was called Connoisseur, and they ended up making three of those. Um, and even in the first movie, they actually had a joke that was talking about Jurassic Park. Uh, I think it was a scene, a guy was with this lady talking about dinosaur eggs and talking about growing them and having all these dinosaurs rocking around. He said, wow, that would make a great theme park. Like it, was, it was something like that, but he made a Jurassic Park joke. But yeah, that's my question. What, do you think that there could ever be a rated R Jurassic Park movie or Jurassic World movie um, in the future? All right, thank you, man. You have a blessed day. I appreciate it. Thanks again, dude, for another great voicemail. You know, as for seeing a JP film with an R rating, I really don't think we ever will. I get it. You know, so many of us want to see a more brutal rendition of the franchise with more blood and edgier topics. But I think at its heart, Jurassic Park is a film for families. You know, it has its brutal moments, but I really think these films are mostly for kids. You know, I might get some hate for saying that, but let's face it. Most of us here got on board with this franchise when we were kids, very young kids. I know many of you have introduced your children to see these films, and and I hope that family tradition continues. Also, one of the most important reasons we won't see an R-rated film is Hasbro. You know, even though toys may not have been 100% to our liking this past year, they sold pretty well, and they probably will continue to do so. So changing this film to an R rating would essentially kill off any toy lines. And I, I really don't think anybody within Universal or Hasbro would like that. If you haven't realized, you know, many films are closely tied with their toy lines, and films have been known to include aspects that will directly correspond to whatever toys that they're introducing. So I really don't think studios would want to kill off that brand recognition. Also, you know, going from PG-13 to R... I think that would make theater profits drop significantly. You know, it's widely known that making a film R significantly removes a key demographic from the theaters. You know, you're talking about all the younger people would be completely removed unless the parents bring them themselves. You know, Universal wouldn't really want to jeopardize any profits after seeing such a crazy outpour with Jurassic World. So, you know, in the end, I don't really think we'll ever get an R rating for any of these upcoming films. Um, maybe other outlets will take over that rating if they ever decide to do comics or Netflix show. Uh, Marvel themselves have taken on the R-rated route with shows like Daredevil and Jessica Jones, but they keep their films within a tier for all ages. Personally, I hope they never lose that family aspect. I really want them to keep it open for fans of all ages. I don't want them to exclude anybody, really. But you know what? Thanks again, man. It's a great question and one that I want to open up to everybody listening here. Do you want to see Jurassic Park as an R-rated film? Do you not want to see that? Let us know. So send in an email, a voicemail, 
Um, you know, go to our website, to our contact form, fill out something there. You know, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook, anywhere really. Reach out and let us know. Do you want to see a rated R film or not? Moving on here, this last email comes from Lonnie, so let's take a look. Hey Brad, I just wanted to say congratulations on your first year of the Jurassic Park podcast and the website. I have been sort of hovering in the background since I asked you a question almost a year ago, but I enjoy listening to your podcast each week. Your topics just keep getting better and better. You asked me what my favorite part of the Jurassic Park section was at Islands of Adventure when I worked at Universal. Honestly, as weird as it sounds, it is Camp Jurassic. One of my favorite things to do with friends was to climb around the nets, bolt through the fog and electric gates, and hang out around the dark, smoky volcano. Kind of made you feel like you were a kid again. And it's Jurassic Park. It does need a Jurassic World facelift more than just those banners hanging around Thunder Falls. Here's hoping they will capitalize on the franchise in a way that will bring the Jurassic World experience to us in a very new way soon. Second place goes to the one time where me and my friend rode the JP River Adventure by ourselves at night. It kind of gives the ride a whole new edge. I will send you a MP3 sometime soon of the top 5 Jurassic Park games every JP fan should play. Keep up the great work, man. After careful consideration, I've decided to endorse your podcast to every JP movie fan I know. Wow, Lonnie. Thank you so much for taking the time to write that awesome email. I really appreciate you listening and interacting in the way that you do. Um, As I said in that last email response, I love the theme parks so much. And Islands of Adventure is one of my favorites. Now, I do agree that it tends to need a lot more for Jurassic World. But I'm sure that a lot more is in store, hopefully sometime soon. Um, I really wish I had more time to explore that area like you do. The unfortunate thing was I only had one day to hit both parks, so I kind of rushed through it. Um, I did have the chance to ride the River Adventure at dusk, and it was a, it was an awesome experience, I have to say. Um, but I don't know if it was as cool as riding it at dark. You know, I should probably hit up YouTube, see if I can find a video, um, you know, of the ride at night. Hopefully they do. Anyway, stay tuned, like I said before, because we have a lot more in store for theme park stuff, Um, so stay tuned. Also, I'm patiently waiting your top five JP Games MP3, so make sure to get that in. Thanks again, Lonnie. But you know what? That goes for everybody as well. If you have anything you want to send in, MP3s, questions, comments, or you just want to say hi, you can submit them via our contact form on our website, JurassicParkPodcast.com, or you can email us at JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. If you want to send a voicemail, you can call us at 732-825-7763. DinosaurStop.com has a great giveaway going on right now, where you could win a hybrid FX Tyrannosaurus Rex, Owen Alpha with Velociraptor Blue Set, a Jurassic World Slap Band, and a replica park map. Now that's an absurd amount of stuff for having to do so little. So all you have to do is either subscribe to their YouTube channel and comment on the giveaway video, or you can go to their Facebook, like their page, and comment on the giveaway post. That's two ridiculously simple ways to enter. So make sure to head over to DinosaurStop.com to find out more information on the contest and the prizes. Oh, hear fire, do not fire! God creates man, man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Boy, my head being right all the time. We're gonna have to drop the can! Are you ready? One, two, come on!
This past week, TNT aired the John Williams AFI Award event, and it was filled with all kinds of great content. But today, I wanted to share two clips, one from Bryce Dallas Howard and the actual acceptance speech from John Williams. Now, the John Williams part is a little glitchy, so sorry about that, but let's take a listen. the privilege of watching John Williams conduct a live orchestra when I was 11 years old. With every flick of John's wrist, I watched my dad's film, Far and Away, come to life before my eyes. And I began to understand what music, genius music, can do for a story. While filming Jurassic World, we felt an enormous responsibility to do this beloved franchise justice. John's music instantly bridged the two-decade gap between Jurassic Park and Jurassic World. His epic theme reminded us that we were standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. So much so that while shooting, whenever we were getting ready for a major setup, um, we would emotionally and mentally prepare ourselves by simply humming... Da, 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 da. <laughs> To paraphrase Irving Berlin, the movie may have ended, but the melody lingers on. Congratulations, John. <laughs> First of all, what an amazing evening this is. There certainly are no adequate thanks for AFI and to all of you for coming tonight. When Sir Howard rang me about this event, my first thought was, Actually, I'm really much too young for a thing like this. <laughs> I am very happy to be here tonight as the first composer honoree. And I can think of many deserving colleagues in the past who would have certainly been wonderful candidates for this. I owe a great deal to these men and I owe a great deal to film, certainly. Music is like architecture, sculpture and so on, thousands of years old. And film is the new kid on the block, 100 years barely. And though we will watch its evolution carefully, side by side with the art of music, I am enormously grateful, as all composers are, to film for giving us the broadest possible audience worldwide that any composer has ever enjoyed. I, uh, I'm certain that Beethoven would have shunned it. But Wagner would have had his own studio out there in Burbank <laughs> with a with a huge water tank with a W on it. And I really want to mention some of the great directors that I've worked with. George Lucas. George Lucas, certainly a genius. George, you've given me the greatest opportunity in the broadest canvas to write themes for characters. Luke Skywalker, Darth Vader, Anakin, Luke and Leia, The Force, and so on. For the first film, George, I even wrote, you'll remember, a quite heated love theme with, with, a, with a melody and a development section and a torrid climax, thinking that Luke and Leia were lovers. And, and I found out two years later that they were brother and sister. And you, you will know that Stephen and I have worked together for I don't know, 43 or 40 years, something amazing. And it's like a perfect marriage, you know, we really have never had an argument of any kind. And it is a testament to this man's humanity and his loyalty and his patience 
and his very good taste. <laughs> I, I have a favorite Steven Spielberg story that I want to share with you. And that has to do with the film Schindler's List, which you will all remember. And Stephen came back with his film to show me the first cut, as he always does. And we went to his projection room, and the purpose of this was to see the film and then discuss the music for the film. And you'll remember the film. It's the story of Oskar Schindler, who's a German civilian who protected and employed potential victims of the Holocaust. Powerful masterpiece of a film. And the film ends in the state of Israel, you remember, and the survivors and their children go to the graveside of Oscar Schindler to place stones on the graveside to honor the memory of, of Oscar Schindler. And the lights came up and the film was over and it was time for Stephen and me to begin to talk about the role of the music. And I was so overwhelmed by the film, I really could not speak. And I went out and walked around the building for a few minutes to gather myself and came back in to start the meeting with Stephen. And I said, Stephen, this is truly a great film. And you need a better composer than I am for this film. And he said very sweetly, all dead. <laughs> to the AFI and its members and all guests tonight for coming, my heartfelt thanks for this indescribable evening. And once I get over being stunned, I will treasure this night always. And tomorrow morning, when I'm back at work, I will try to deserve all of this. Thank you all very much. John Williams is one of the most prolific composers of all time, and a man that's 100% deserving of more than just an award. Hopefully you enjoyed that audio, but I really hope you got a chance to catch that ceremony on TNT. There was so much praise for him from the start to the finish. It was an amazing event. Hopefully you got a chance to catch it. But you know what? Even though we're just Jurassic Park fans here, I think there's much more to it than that. We all love John Williams so much, and he's brought so much to this franchise, and it wouldn't be the same without him. Here's to many more years of great John Williams scores, even if they aren't Jurassic Park. Thanks for listening to the 56th episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Thanks again to all the great Jurassic June contributors this month. It's been really great seeing everything you're putting out there. Also, thanks to Mrs. Stephen Hurl, Kat, Lonnie and Justice Steele for the great interactions in this episode. I really love hearing from you all nearly every week, so keep it up. Don't forget about the bonus episode this week with our Jurassic World commentary. Make sure to download it, sit back, relax, and watch Jurassic World along with us. Stay tuned to next week's episode where Aaron Beyer, a visual effects artist who worked on Jurassic Park 3D and Jurassic World 3D, joins us for another great Top 5 segment. This time, our Top 5 favorite toys from Series 1 and Series 2 of the original Jurassic Park toy line. It's going to be a long, jam-packed episode, and you won't want to miss it. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podomatic, YouTube, or wherever else podcasts are found. If you haven't already, 
please give us a five-star review on iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, segment ideas, top fives, or comments to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com, or you can submit the questions directly on our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail a call and leave us a message. That number is 732-825-7763. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.